morning, Reach Church. All right. So if there are any, any kids, I don't think any kids made it. <laughs> They're all still asleep. Ours was still asleep. We had to wake them up. So uh, <laughs> uh, if there are any kids, they can head to Reach Kids. Um, but otherwise, we are going to jump into the sermon. So we are still continuing our God-sized conversations based upon your God-sized questions. And this week, uh, we are talking what hopefully doesn't have a lot of questions related to it. Uh, today, we're talking about politics. Woo! All right. Exciting. <laughs> All right. So uh, there are there tangential questions related to, to America and those sorts of things. But uh, I think the, the main question we want to focus on this morning is, uh, is this question, why don't we talk about politics more? Why don't we focus on politics more? And we can take that a couple different ways, but I think what the person asking is, is okay, like, why doesn't Reach Church talk more about the, the issues, political issues, um, even social issues that are happening? And that's a, it's a good question because at the heart of that question is, um, is a realization, a recognition that oftentimes we don't talk about politics very often from, from the pulpit here. It doesn't come up that much. Now, it comes up occasionally, sorts of things, uh, as they kind of naturally come up in Scripture. But someone could accuse us of saying, like, well, are you, even, are you even watching the news? Do you know what's going on? It sounds like you're kind of just plugging along, talking about Jesus every week, and, and not really addressing these things. All right. Guilty as charged, in some sense. Um, but I want to know why. Why, why do we kind of seemingly neglect those things? Are we neglecting those things? Uh, and I want to look at this through the, through the lens of Jesus, obviously. Um, and particularly in, a, in a, a story where Jesus is confronted with political questions. And we want to see, okay, how does he address these questions? How does he bring those things into his ministry? How does, how does he interact with those things in his preaching? And I think we're going to see a couple things. Two, two main things we're going to see in the, in the interaction that Jesus has with the people about politics is that, in some sense, politics is a distraction from larger issues. And second, that, that we need to refocus ourselves on the kingdom of God. That these things can be a distraction from the kingdom of God. And ultimately, because of that, Reach Church is kind of obsessed with this nothing but Jesus thing. And we intentionally give you Jesus every week. But I want us to kind of buy that and, and feel that in our hearts and be like, okay, that's, I, want to, I want nothing but Jesus every week too. So with that in mind, we're going to look at Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. That's Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. <laughs> Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. All right. So, uh, do you have your Bibles? Read with me. Matthew 15. Then the, Pharisees went and, uh, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are, are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left and went away. All right. Let's pray, and we'll jump into this. Father, we thank you for just revealing to us Jesus. We thank you that he is unlike those that we see in the world. He is like our, unlike ourselves. His, his heart is set on you and the kingdom. And Father, we ask that um, you would give us an undistracted and unhindered um, focus on Jesus and on the kingdom of that you that you've created through him and father we just ask that that we would answer the big questions and we'd be all about the things that that you are all about the things that you love and the things that you focus on and so father would you help us and change our hearts would you change our minds would you make us um, content to be all about nothing but Jesus we pray in his name amen all right so the context of this passage is really important. So if you have your Bibles open, look at, look at what comes before this. So we have actually three parables. Three parables. If you just look at the, the top three little subheadings here, we see uh, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, the parable of the wedding feast. Now what are these? These are parables about the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus is preaching. Jesus is preaching about the nature of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that he is bringing. This first one is a parable about the two sons. Essentially, it comes down to a father asking his two kids to help him. One of them says no, but comes and helps in the end. One says yes in the beginning, but doesn't actually help. And Jesus asks, okay, which one, is, which one has been obedient? Which one has done the will of his father? All right, the second story is the parable of the tenants, where there's a master, and he has a vineyard. And he put tenants in the vineyard, and they're supposed to take care of it. They're supposed to do the master's will. But he keeps sending servants, and the tenants keep killing the servants. And so ultimately, he sends his son to go deal with the tenants, and the, the tenants kill the son. And it ends with that, the wrath of the master coming against those tenants and the vineyard being taken away from them and given to someone else. The nature of the kingdom of God. And then this last one, the parable of the wedding feast. It speaks about this king who is throwing a wedding feast for his son. And he invites all the people, and yet people keep, keep failing to actually come to the party until like the very dirge of society is welcomed in and those who are initially invited are thrown out. All right, these are the parables of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus had just finished saying. And then, what happens? The Pharisees and the Herodians come together to ask Jesus some questions. And what do they ask about? They're asking about politics. They're asking about politics. Now, I just want us to, to see one, one very simple thing that Jesus had a message. And he was, asking, he was asking questions, ultimately, in those parables. 
questions like, okay, where do you stand in the kingdom of God? Where are you? What do you believe? What are you doing with the sun? Are you going to the wedding feast? Are you saying with your mouth that, yes, I want to serve you, but, but you don't show up in the end? Are you a tenant in the vineyard, but you're killing the servants and you're, you're bound to kill the son? He's asking those questions, and what do the Pharisees and the Herodians do? They, they have totally sidestepped all of this talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. They've sidestepped all the questions that God had, that Jesus, who is God, has for them personally, and they refocus on what? The kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Rome, the kingdoms of the world. All right. They get distracted. They get distracted from the most important questions so that they can answer, ask, ask this question, the question that's on their hearts and minds. And why do they ask this question? Because ultimately they don't want to answer that question about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. That's not the most important thing to them. That before them, before them, and, and what feels most important to them is the kingdom of this world. Is Rome and Israel and taxes and power. All right. So I start kind of heavy. Are you getting distracted? Are you getting distracted from the message of Jesus? Are you kind of getting so immersed in the world and the world's questions that you think those are actually the most important questions? Or that when you go to Jesus, those are the questions on your mind. When you go to people, those are the questions on your mind. All right, if you're not a believer, if you're not a believer, I just want to tell you that those questions are not the most important questions to Jesus himself. And I say that on the one hand, so you don't get hung up on politics because Oftentimes, people don't like the church because they think they don't like political parties. All right, Jesus didn't get wrapped up in that stuff. Don't miss Jesus because you don't like the politics of, of the, the church. But also, like, don't get hung up on the world when there are real questions ahead of you. That what happens today is, is not as relevant, ultimately, to what happens on the day of the Lord when you stand before him. All right, for believers, for believers, all right, have you bought the lie? Have you bought the lie that these are the questions you need to be asking, that these are the central questions on God's mind? They should be the central questions on your mind. All right, they're not. They're distractions from the message of Jesus. All right. Let's keep going then. All right, so uh, it's not just that these people were distracted. They were actually trying to distract Jesus as well. They were trying to get him off of his message. They were getting him away from his purpose. They were kind of trying to throw a wrench in his ministry. And so let's look at what they were actually getting at. Let's look at verse 15 again. Uh, the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent his disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now this is an interesting uh, marriage here. These guys are not on the same team. We'll talk about why. Uh, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. You do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. 
All right, if you look at, there's a little subnote there that says, uh, in the Greek, it actually, it's an idiom. It says, you do not look at people's faces. You don't, you don't care what the people look like. You don't care what they, who they are before you. You don't care about any of that. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? All right. Now, we're going to wash over the fact that this is like totally insincere. And they're just trying to flatter Jesus. And like, they don't really care where Jesus stands on the political issues. They just want to, they don't want to trip him up. But this is a loaded question, ultimately. This is a bipartisan question. As a lot of politics is, like, it's, then what do they say? Is it lawful to pay, pay taxes to Caesar or not? It's a yes or no question. It's a black and white issue. And it's bipartisan. And it puts you in one or two camps. And oddly enough, both of those camps are here, standing before Jesus. All right, you have the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, they didn't want to pay taxes because they didn't believe in the, the real authority of Rome. And what did they think? They thought that instead, the king and the line of David should be ruling and that the physical kingdom should be reestablished, that it wasn't right that they should have to pay taxes. All right, but then you have the Herodians. Now, Herod, Herod was the king. He was kind of the puppet king of the Roman Empire. And so what do they think? They're kind of, they're okay with Rome. Let's just get along. We can, we can get rule and power and authority alongside Rome. Let's not fight. Let's just pay our taxes and, and have a nice life. So, where does this leave Jesus? All right, if he says, yes, you have to pay taxes, that puts him in a camp. It puts him in a political party. And it has all these implications associated with it. And underlying saying yes to taxes is, yeah, Caesar has, has real authority here. And ultimately, like, we should just submit to him. The kingdom is dead. Let's just, let's just be pragmatists. Or underlying this is, is that, you know what? Maybe Caesar is God and we should, we should worship him as God. Maybe this is, is idolatry. All these things could like, be, Jesus could get swept into, not legitimately, but just by saying that you, don't, you pay taxes, that's where people would put him. And they'd say that he's a pushover, that he's passive, that he doesn't care about the kingdom of Israel, that he's spineless. All right, so that's, that's one good option. All right, the other one is that Okay, you say no to taxes. Now, what camp does that put Jesus in? Well, the Pharisee camp, for one, but also like the, the revolutionary camp. And now Jesus is some, somehow a, a zealot fighting for the kingdom of Israel, that the kingdom should be physical, that the kingdom is right here, that nothing is okay until the physical kingdom and the throne of David is reestablished. Worse, they can paint him as a traitor, that he's, he's rejected Caesar, that he wants to overthrow the kingdom. All right. These are not two very good camps to be in. Now, why do they do that? To distract Jesus. To entangle him. Because they know that this is not the mission of Jesus. They know that this has not been the purpose. They have heard the parables. They know that the kingdom of God is not about these things, but they, they want to destroy his ministry. They want to throw him off of his purpose. 
They want his preaching to be a joke. All right. What do we do with that? All right. I rebuke us once again. Too many of us have heard bipartisan questions and hook, line, and sinker, we have swallowed it and, and liked the taste. And we have said, you know what? Oh, like, this is an issue. I need, to, I need to take up a stance on this issue. And I need to post it on my Facebook. I need to tell everyone where I stand on this issue. And ultimately, we're just putting ourselves into one or two categories. And we're getting swept up in, in each bipartisan slant and we're missing the mission. And our mission and our, our message as Christians is getting washed away. Now, it's one thing to be tricked into these questions. And if these are difficult questions to ask, but some of us are, are willfully kind of jumping into them and like, I'm, I'm on this team, come, come, come with me. And we become Democrats or Republicans before we're Christians. Or become evangelists for political parties, not for Christ. We had totally thrown off our game. Distraction from the message and the mission that we're on. That we're out there for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven. We are soldiers. We are soldiers fighting a war for the kingdom of God. And we're getting caught up in civilian matters. Alright, there's real danger here. We have to be careful. And so Jesus, Jesus, he, he doesn't fall into the trap. He doesn't fall into the trap. He, he doesn't think these are the real questions. And so let's, let's see what, what Jesus says. Let's see what Jesus says. He does answer the question. All right, so there are questions out there, and you should answer them. You should have stances. You should vote. You should have a vote. All right, but it shouldn't be the same reason that everyone else has. And we don't just fall into these camps. We have, to, we have to do what we do and still believe in the kingdom and reinforce the kingdom and thwart all of the underlying presuppositions and expectations. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus starts by questioning them and their, their heart motive. Verse 18, Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Now, why are they hypocrites? Because they're saying that they, they love his teaching and it's so full of truth, but they haven't applied it to their own hearts. They haven't decided anything about the kingdom of God. They're still focusing on the kingdom of the world. They don't care about his teaching or else they would have followed it and answered the question. But Jesus, Jesus, he, he gets past all that. And what does, he, what does he tell them? Verse 19, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription of this is this? And they said, Caesar's. All right. This is not how the, the script is supposed to go in these conversations. All right. Lots of political arguments, they have scripts. And you hear them on CNN or Fox News, and you're supposed to follow the script. And you're supposed to walk through the line of reasoning and say, well, well oh, like to, to protect this, we need to do this so we get that. Jesus should have started by saying something like, well, isn't God sovereign? And he put Rome in place, so of course we need to follow him. Or he should have started with, you know what? 
In Genesis, this land was promised to Abraham. Shouldn't it be Abraham's land? It, doesn't it really not belong to Rome at all? It belongs to us. No, where does he start? He starts with the coin. Let me see the coin that you're going to pay this tax with. And tell me about the coin. Now, it's interesting that, that the Pharisees, they have a coin. All right, so they're also hypocrites in the fact that they're okay with Caesar as long as it's getting money from him. All right, they're okay with using his money. They're okay with buying things with his money. They just don't want to pay taxes with his money. All right, interesting. But the, the jingling in their pocket says they're okay with Caesar. All right, and what does he say? Ultimately, that, that this money is imprinted, it has the likeness of Caesar on it. The inscription says, by Caesar. This is made by Caesar, for Caesar, for Caesar's kingdom. And what does he say? Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. All right, it's Caesar's money. It has Caesar's face on it, so if he wants it back, give it back to him. That's essentially what he's saying. That it's his. And you live in his kingdom, and if he wants it back, he can have it back. Now, what, is that, what camp does that put him in? Does that put him in the camp of the Herodians? No, he's not, he's not reinforcing the legitimacy of his rule. He's just saying, you know, if it's his, he can have it. Has his face on it. If he, if he expects it back, he's the one who printed it and gave it to you. He's the one running this whole thing. All right. Is he a Pharisee? Is he wanting to overthrow the, the kingdom? No, but he's, he's holding back and limiting that authority. That the authority that Caesar has, has created for himself on his own money, he has control over. So ultimately, are you supposed to pay taxes? According to Jesus, yes. But not because of, because of either camp's reasoning. That's what I want to challenge us. If, if we do make political stances and we have these hardline stances, we can't just parrot whatever our, the political representatives tell us to think. Because they have basic assumptions that aren't in line with the kingdom of God. There are basic assumptions that say like, I have rights and power should win and I should get what's coming to me. I'm promised. I'm entitled. All those underlying assumptions are terrible. They might get to a good conclusion, but we have to have a different reason for the things that we do. Oftentimes the motivation between all this stuff is that we want what we want, that we vote for the things that are better for us, presuppositions that are just totally out of line with the kingdom. So Jesus kind of blows all that up. He sidesteps, he, he takes something more ultimate than that, but then, then in the ultimate, ultimate sidestepping and, and just blowing the question out, what does he say? Render to God the things that are God's. Render to God the things that are God's. Now, what is he saying there? What is he saying? Now, Jesus is actually, he's kind of clever here. He's clever other places. But, uh, all right, he's, he's doing some wordplay here, which is kind of fun. So remember, remember way back, uh, 
we had that, that little, little thing that they said. What did they say? They said, uh, you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. All right, the only, way, the only time I talk about the Greek and the Hebrew is if it's in a little subnote, and it is. So what it says there, it says, you do not look at people's faces. You don't look at people's faces. And you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, actually, no, I'm going to look you right in the face. And I'm going to ask you, you personally, whose likeness are you made in the image of? What inscription is on you, Mr. Pharisee or Mr. Herodian? Like, whose likeness and image are you made in? What does it say above your head? And they all know what that means. They know they are made in the image of God. They are made in the likeness of God, their creator. And above their head, it doesn't say, in God we trust. It says, glorify God. Obey God. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he's saying, you know what? There are things that belong to Caesar. Give those things back to him. But there are things that belong to God. And have you given God those things? Have you paid your taxes to the ultimate Caesar? Have you paid your life to God? Have you given the breath that is in your lungs to him and praised him every second of every day? Do you owe a debt to God your father? And ultimately recognize that no. No, the Pharisees have to see that. The Herodians have to see that. No, they haven't, they haven't lived as good citizens in the kingdom of God. They haven't obeyed the laws of God. They're criminals. And they are tax evaders. They're not true citizens in the kingdom of God. They're not true citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And ultimately, they don't even care about the sun. They don't care about going to the wedding feast. They don't care about doing the will of their father as much as they say, yes, yes, we're going to be there. They don't show up. And the reality is, is that if Jesus said that to each one of us, like, we would be devastated as well. That we are in debt to, to God our King. That we have not paid, we owe him a debt for sin and for disobedience and for total neglect of him. And that's why Jesus asked this question. That's why he doesn't care about the political question as much. Because there is a kingdom going on and we have to make sure we are part of it. We have to make sure we are with the son, we are with the prince, or we will be cast out. Don't get distracted by politics. All right, refocus on the kingdom of God and what's ultimately going on here. What the real questions are. Where do you stand with him? And that takes us to, the, to our last point. All right. Each week we talk about nothing but Jesus because we know that that question is the most important question. And because I, we all know that we do owe that debt to God. And we have not rendered to God the things that are God's. And ultimately we care more about the questions that have to do with our money and our glory and our power than the riches and the glory and the power of God in his own kingdom. 
And so, instead of focusing on the president, we focus on Jesus. Instead of focusing on the kingdom of America, we focus on the kingdom of God. Instead of talking about us as Democrats and Republicans, we talk about us as the children of God, as sons and daughters in the kingdom of God, as the bride of Christ. And so I want to remind us, I want to remind us that in this, in this very story, why is it so important we get to nothing but Jesus? Why is it so important we focus on the kingdom and not on ourselves? All right, when we think about that debt that we owe to God, the debt that we have in the kingdom of God, how are we going to make up for that? Well, the prince, the son, he saw that. Our king saw that. The one who is called the prince of peace, the mighty counselor, whose the government is upon his shoulders. He saw the debt that we owed. And so Jesus, the perfect image of the father, the son, he comes down and he becomes a coin like us. He becomes a 50 cent piece like us and he spends his whole life paying our debt. He spends his time glorifying his father, obeying his father, building the kingdom of God, protecting the kingdom of God, being utterly rejected by the kingdom of man. And ultimately, to pay the debt of our sin, he submits to the, the kingdom of the world. To Pontius Pilate, who is just a puppet for the Caesar. To the Jewish people who, they didn't like, they didn't like Caesar until Jesus threatened their power and their authority. And then they are more than happy to ally, to ally with Caesar to get this Jesus killed. And murdered in a false trial. And what did Jesus do? Jesus submitted to all of that. He submitted to all of it so that he could pay our debt. He could pay our debt to God. Our judgment for sin. Our failure to pay in obedience and glory. All right, we talk about our king. We don't talk about the president because our president is never going to do that for us. I don't care how good a president he is. Jesus did that for us. That's the kind of king that we worship. And when he rose from the dead, he gave us his life. He gave us his perfection. He gave us his power. He gave us his glory. And he established a new kingdom. Where how do you get power? You get power by admitting that you are weak. How do you get glory? You admit that you are full of shame and humiliation and, and owning that and suffering. How do you find victory? By, by admitting defeat and putting your faith in Jesus. He totally turns all the kingdoms upside down. He thwarts all of the presuppositions of the kingdom of the world. And he says, this is my kingdom. Come serve me. And what do we become? We become children in the kingdom of God. Princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. That Jesus becomes our brother. That God becomes our father. We are, fought, we are children of the king. We are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, cannot be broken, will we'll endure for all eternity. These are the things that matter. These are the things that are most beautiful. These are the things that are most amazing. And so I'll, I'll challenge us. 
see those things. Be all about those things. There is a priority. Put the priority of the kingdom of heaven and Jesus Christ and nothing but Jesus at the top. Render to God the things that are God's. Your life belongs to God. Your Facebook belongs to God. The message and the mission and the evangelism that you give to the people out there belongs to God. All right, don't give the kingdom of the world your evangelism, your mission, your hope, your love, your heart, your life. Give those things to Jesus because Jesus has given you those things already. Amen? All right. Let's do some questions. Uh, we'll see. Do you like or not like Trump? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Someone was listening. Yeah. Norma. Do you have a question? Yeah. I, I do try really, I have strong opinions. I know you do. <laughs> Right. And so I try really hard in that area. <laughs> but is there a time when the, the church and God's people have to stand up on behalf of the unborn with what is going on in our country? Is that the time that we stand up and say no? Right. And that, that's where Norma, that's where Jesus takes stances. And we're going to talk about probably some of those issues that are most important and, and do touch the Bible. All right. But we want to make sure we're doing it with different reasons. We have to be very careful to protect ourselves from getting swept into party lines and from adopting the, the presuppositions of those parties because they're so against the kingdom and all of its principles. It's all about power and fighting for myself. And, and so if we're going to do that, we have to be incredibly careful. And just like Jesus was incredibly careful and incredibly wise and savvy about he does that, how he does that, we have to be as well. It's, it's very dangerous ground. But you're right. We stand for the truth. We stand for the glory of God. And we can't compromise those things. Are you going to address that specific then? Uh, that, is, that, that, is, that is one of the, one of the topics um, that, yeah, we'll probably end up talking about uh, in this series. Yeah. Jack. Right. So there's no argument here. So when I read this, I think it's a very specific group of people who are asking a very specific question at a very specific time. There's thoughts in our mind that's not in our mind today um, in that way of, you know, how they're approaching Jesus. And of course, he knows they're just trying to fool them. And they walk away right away. So it seems to me that this is a very specific thing. Um, and, and the fact that uh, politics or, or government is very important to God. He established So the, the thing is, it's not to think about, you know, government being something that God isn't interested in, is concerned about, and wants us to be involved in, heavily involved in. It's, it's, a, it's a, duty to, a duty. But the thing is, is when we rely on our opinions, that, you know, is where we come into the problem and we, we argue amongst one another, um, you know, about what's best. But, you know, and again, like you said, we focus on the things of God, but... We, I think what happens is we don't teach properly. We don't, we don't bring people together like what I'm saying and discuss these things in, in, a, in a context of you know, government by itself. And it doesn't have to come from the pulpit. You, know, you can't preach all that. 
in, in the sense is that ch the church or the Protestant church that is teaching these types of things specifically will be helpful. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I definitely... Uh, you said a lot there, Jack. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That's not, that's, you know, they could have been come back and said, well, that, you know, God has, owns everything, you know. Of course, that would have been uh, a different conversation. Right. And that's where, that's where I think we, yeah, we don't want to say that our answer should always be exactly the same as Jesus. But we want to make sure that the heart is the same. And the heart of Jesus gets back to priorities and that the first things are first. That the first things, the most important things, are not the kingdom of this world, they are the kingdom of heaven. And we want to make sure that that's, that's squared in our heart. That we aren't just tangentially talking about these questions and forgetting to, to call the very people we're talking to, to, to faith in Christ, to become part of the kingdom of God. Now, in terms of how, how should we teach these things, how should we talk about these things, um, we, have, we have to start with the kingdom of God, and that'll put everything else in focus. We have to start with Jesus, that'll put everything else in focus. Now, I'm, I never want to say that talking about politics or having a stance is wrong, but I want to make sure our priorities are right. Because I see in, in our hearts sometimes that we'd rather talk about politics than talk about Jesus. Or we're, gonna, we're, more, we're quicker to evangelize about a political party than we are to evangelize Christ. And those are the kind of things we want to get right. And then we won't be crazy about politics. We'll be able to have those conversations in a way that's sane and helpful and God-glorifying. Yeah. Right. Other questions? Yeah, Randall? Well, yeah, I just, I, it's obvious that you're not saying don't be good American citizens. You're, you're not saying don't right. vote, don't engage in right. <laughs> don't do your civic duty. But as with so many things that we deal with as a society and as individuals, you brought up the heart. And, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And, and I, you know, the, 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 the situation that we're in in our country with so many different things, as always, it's not new. Right. It's a, it's a reflection, a symptom of the heart. Right. And so if we are seeking nothing but Jesus, we're seeking the cure to the disease, not the treatments of the symptoms. Right, and right. so, um, I feel like we, and you, a couple weeks ago you said, you, you were talking about um, being prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in you. Right. And you talked about dealing with objections with respect. Right. Respecting the others. Again, that political discourse that we have comes from a changed heart, which allows us to be respectful in that discourse. Right, it's a big right. Circle. Yeah, it's a big it all works together. Stuff. It all works together. Right. And it all fits together like a big jigsaw puzzle. And it's really cool that when you focus on what you're supposed to, then you can engage the issues in a way that is both glorifying to God and productive right. and not divisive. Right, so, right. That really wasn't a question, I'm sorry. I, I noticed, I noticed, Randall. <laughs> and that's, our, that's what I'd say, like, I think we also have to be careful that we haven't, like, we haven't misrepresented ourselves so that we can't enter those conversations. People already have us pigeonholed, and they already think, oh, they already, we already know exactly what you think. We don't want to hear about it. Um, you have to protect our witness um, so that we can have those kind of conversations and, and be winsome about it. Rob?
<laughs> well done, Randy. Do you want to come up here, Randy? Come on. <laughs> Yeah. And, and maybe the series will begin to answer it, I hope. But how, how am I able to know my role and define my role when I don't have this great privilege, if there's others here, that don't have to interact with political spectrums or government entities or anything in their jobs or walk, where I am so embedded in it every day? Right. So right. I, I don't have a choice. It's part of the role. Right. So I'm the president of the Chamber of Commerce. Right. I can point out a lot of corrupt practices. I have to work in different political arenas and otherwise right. uh, on behalf of the membership. Um, the human resources end, right? There's policies that think I'm expected to have a voice and advocate with right. that affects so many other people. And I'm, I'm confused with the terms, the, the word choice, you know, politics and this continuing process of politics. Right. I'm familiar with the government that where you have a political season, it's done. Now you start governing, and you get things done, and we judge you on your work performance. Okay. And then we go back to a political season. Right. Once every four years. Right. But now it's a continuing cycle of politics. Like, everybody's running for office all the time. Right, right. right. And, and so it's very, very confusing. So I say that as a comment. <laughs> right. The question comes back to how am I to understand my role to navigate? I don't have a choice. I must navigate it among the tax collectors in Pharisee, you know, right. and, and be defined so that I'm for Christ and it pours out from Right, me, right. Not... That's where, that's where I, I, I feel for you, Rob. I can't opt out. And in some sense, some sense, I can. I can't opt out. Because, like, you either talk religion or politics. Everyone talks religion with me, you know. That's the only thing I ever get. So I don't really, we don't talk about politics much. Um, and that's where, like, Rob, I think you are responsible for having Jesus-like answers and like astounding, awe-inspiring answers that glorify Christ. Like, God, <laughs> you're, like, yeah, that's, and that's where like, we're called to work at those things and think through the issues and look through the biases and look through the presuppositions and say like, no, I, I can't be, get behind this aspect of that. And, and we have to be incredibly nuanced and in some sense, we have to shake the foundations of the world and call people to, to more ultimate things like glorifying God, even as we engage in those things. So that's very hard, Rob. Um, you, have your, you have your work cut out for you. That's why I didn't become a politician. Uh, so it, it's hard. It's hard. And that's why, yeah, we have to be really careful. Right. They have their kings, but they're still within the God's people, and that makes sense. Right. We're not Israel, so do we legislate morality? <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, yeah. That's where, that's where you're, you're getting something. It's one thing that's very fundamental that I want to make sure is clear. Uh, your second question is harder, much harder. The first question is easier. We are not a theocracy like Israel was. Israel was a... Was a a religion turned into the state. And their role was for the, the nation to embody and to, to flesh out the worship of God before all the other nations. All right, that's not what America is. America is one neutral nation amongst 
a, a globe of neutral nations. There is no theocracy in the world today. And so we want to be careful. Do we want God to be glorified in the way that our country is governed? Yes. But we can't simplistically always say, well, that means that the law of God needs to be the law of the land. There isn't a one-to-one -one correlation between those things. And we also even have to ask, what's the best way to shape the hearts of people? Is it law? Is the mission of the, of the government to, get, to create God-glorifying, obedient people? We can't mix up the church and the government. It, it's a really hard question. And these are the kind of questions we have to ask. And that's where a lot of the underlying assumptions are very simplistic and say, oh, like, that's bad. We make laws and the government's going to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. And we punish them. Like, it's just not that simple. And so we have to be, we have to be very careful. That doesn't answer your question fully, Leah. Uh, intentionally. Uh, but that's all I'm going to say. Any other questions? No more questions because Dan's telling me to wrap it up. Uh, all right. Uh, the last thing I'm going to say is we are now participating in one of the rituals of the kingdom of, of heaven. And we get to remember what our king has done for us, his blood and his body given for us. And we get to look forward to the day when we will stand in that kingdom consummated and have that wedding feast of the lamb. That wedding banquet that, that Jesus was trying to invite people to, but they refused to come this is the invitation. And so if you don't know Christ, if you haven't answered the fundamental questions of which kingdom are you part of, have you received the son? Receive him now. Receive him. Put your faith in him. Receive the kingdom of heaven. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the better king of a better kingdom and you have given your son the prince, the, the politician to be our advocate, to be our, our Lord and to be the, the sacrifice for sin. Father, we are astounded by your great love for us. We are astounded by the, the nature of the kingdom. And Father, we ask that you would give us the faith to, to walk according to your kingdom, to follow the, the ways of Christ. That through suffering and by sorrow and weakness, we find joy and we find peace and we find victory. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the work that you've done. Give us an ability to, to follow you and to love you and to glorify you for all that you've done for us. For us. We pray in Christ's name.